go. Um, thanks for doing the pretest and for being part of this part two concept of Crossroads and Faith Island. Um, oh, look at that. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to start with that. A little tension, a little disequilibrium, or a little encouragement for you. Like, ah, I know this. Yeah, boom, 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 I got it. Which generally many of you are going to find yourself in that category. Like, I got this. All right, at least I think I know I got this, right? And some of us are still like, oh, my gosh, I can't do this. Like, I just can't. And grace and grace and yes and yes and no worries. We're going we're gonna to calibrate that later. But part of this was, oh, I don't know this. Pay attention. This is why we're doing this right now. And for those of us who got it, this is why we separated the sections. Does that make sense? Is I got this, and I'm trying to integrate it, and I'm trying to use the vocabulary, and I want to get better at that and learn from each other. Now, we, we, we kind of find our spectrum is still pretty wide. It was wide this morning, but it's still pretty wide. But I got an hour and 15 minutes to show you where this is now, as opposed to four years ago, and for us to share how's it going, how can we do it better, and why are we doing this again? Like, we gotta, we got to revisit that. Does that make sense? The other one is a lot of we're in the trenches trying to do this, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to steer the boat here, and someone's like, hey, I just, I got to ask, like, what's going on here, and I haven't set up lunch with you, or this is just a question and answer. So I'm gonna, I broke this down into three sections of review, what are we doing, what's the new stuff, where are we doing it, and how is that going? If you brought stuff, great. If you brought some stories, great. Where is it going? Where is it happening? How is it going? And then I really wanted to create space at the end for just questions, like what's next or what's going on here. I, I, this is where it is because of you guys and us working together and being a team on this. So I, I'd like to pray. Is that fair enough, like what we're going to do with our time? Let me pray over this. First up, real quick, what's your name again? John. John, let's give it up for John. You know who he is. Let's give it up for him. Tell us why you're here and who you are. I'm John Gildersleeve. I'm a senior at Wheaton College. Woot, woot. I'm an intern at College Church, so I'm working with Margaret Becker, and I'm studying philosophy and theology, so she thought this would be a good thing for me to do. Great to have you here. Uh, let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. You got us to this place, and uh, Lord, we just, Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence here in a, in a way that's tangible. It's supernatural. Pray that you would do things that are beyond our understanding and comprehension and that we can live as theists who, who believe in this realm of spirituality but also physicality and how they touch and interact. Pray that that would happen, that there would be some whimsy, that you'd surprise us, that uh, you, would, you would be the unexpected for us in the next hour. I ask for help. I, I can't do this without your help. I need your help. Thank you that Steve was able to initiate the day with uh, living beyond ourselves. Thank you that you're in us. You can guide us. And Lord, this is about you. This is about seeking truth. And when we find truth, we find you. And you set us free. You give us full life. You give us hope. You give us meaning and purpose. And your, your way to live is the best way to live. And help us to be able to stand on that. Lord, ultimately, you're trustworthy. And that's our job. Specifically, especially even tomorrow, we're going to show kids that you're trustworthy. Worthy of praise and trust and honor and dignity. And give thanks for your grace and all of this. We couldn't do without what well, we could do without grace. It would suck. 
Please, thank you for grace that sets us free from fear. Thanks for your love that empowers and enables us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd inspire us. You're really creative. And so give us that creativity to connect dots and to do something new. Amen. I want to give honor where honor is due in some respects. And so I, I feel compelled real quick. Like this is where it's at 14 years later. And many reasons because of you. I, I spent five or six years trying to do this. You know, Steve didn't fire me in the process <laughs> as I'm working that out. And then I think four years ago, I said, okay, here's what's going on in my room. Anybody want to help out? And a lot of you really, really did. And so I could literally go around and say, this person did this and this and this and this and this. Like, I, I'm a bully. I got to throw it out there. I will never forget the meeting where you're like, why are you saying romanticism? <laughs> romanticism just doesn't work. I'm like, okay, I don't know. And he's like, how about dualism? I'm like, how about dualism? Yeah. I would never go back. Like, it's so much better, right? Uh, Trish Maine has edited this like 10 times. Thank you, Trish. And, and I think about Chris Brown, who, bless him, got me off my butt to make this get out of my room. And he's trying to help get, get it out of his school. Um, and again, I would love to go around and just name names, and I could. Just thank you, you guys. And I, again, I want to do that again, like more help. Like I want this to go beyond my classroom, to go beyond me. It's bigger than me. I feel like it's been a gift of helping people. I would love it to help more people if it can. But it's not there. It's still pretty heady. I want to get it more practical. I'm creative. I want to be really, really creative. I need help with that stuff. There's probably still some edits that need to happen that just aren't clear. I'm an English guy, but really I'm a lit guy. <laughs> All that, right? I just want to re-invite. Does that make sense? So if you're sitting here and you're like, I've done this and this is working better than what you did, I'm like, let me know. Help and continue to help. Go team. Thank you for that. That's part of why we're here right now. That, that pre-test, right, was designed to get those gears spinning. Um, I, I showed the, the ER clip that I showed last time in the previous session, and it created that tension about this counselor who's going around and, <coughs> everything works, but it really doesn't, and she's confused and stuck, and part of what I want to catch is this, maybe a new, fresh vision. I was thinking of what video clip I could show, and there's a lot that I could. I've got Caddyshack that I thought about showing, or Matrix, or, you know, or Inception. I have those clips. I might get there. I actually really want to just trim it down so that we can have more dialogue and discussion. But basically, I need the video clips, I'll grab them. I mean, we can, but again. What I really want to do is focus on some of the differences of what was, what was presented to you to where it is now, and I think more so just cast that big vision. Sound, sound good? So kind of like buckle up, give me five or ten minutes just to say, here's where it is, and recap and remind us, and uh, tell you what I'm really excited about that's new and fresh and hopefully healthier. Some of you have seen the, the handout. There's some different things in there, right, that we've added. First off, one of the biggest differences, uh, Jack Burgess was here. <laughs> he, like, was sneaky about that. But I got half an hour with him, and again, he changed my life in a half an hour. Thank you, Jack. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. <laughs> but he, he reminded me that it might be healthy. To, he was the one who told me to put it all together. And he's like, you know, maybe you should separate it back out. I'm like, what? And, and I realized that that's going to be really healthy. Faith Island and the trust list are its own entity. And here's the key. I want it to be an objective tool. Right? 
yes, I'm a Christian who created it, but it's not about Christianity. It's just about philosophy and truth. Does that make sense? It's like an iPhone, and anybody can use it for whatever they want to, whatever, whatever app. It is a tool. It's like a hammer. You can smash a skull or build a house. It's a tool. And I know people can use an objective tool like this philosophy thing for great evil. I do. But I'm really hoping and trusting that as a tool, they can use it for what? Like great good. Does that make sense? There's a risk in making it objective. I get it. But I want it to be objective. I think they're going to go that route. So help me. Like, good idea or bad idea? I'm, I'm liking it already. Two weeks. This is really new. It's like two weeks later. So Faith Island and the trust lists. Everything is based off of trust. And there's four big, huge, basic trust lists on our planet. And everybody's got a trust list. And they're pulling from these four big philosophies. Does that make sense? The Christian trust list is the fullness of Christ. And I'm calling that the trust list. Like that's the trust list. Does that make sense? And now you can see how this is kind of separated. First half of philosophy class is the philosophy. It's Faith Island. It's all based off of trust. And there's, you know, these two big circles about material and spiritual. And then we get idealism, materialism, dualism, and theism, right? Those are four big philosophical trust lists. Everybody's in there somewhere trying to figure out their life. We've all got our own little individual trust list and all the isms and all, right? We good? And Chesterton says, well, the reason why that exists is we tore the soul of Christ into silly strips. We ripped up reality, right? And what we can find is that when we put those pieces back together, I believe using paradox, of course faith, of course love, but paradox lets us stitch this all back together, we get the fullness of Christ. We get the trust list, which is what we're buying into as the best way to live and the way to go. Uh, that's it in two or three sentences. Yeah? We tracking? That's like the, the big panoramic vision of what I'm doing. So we've got this tool that anybody can use to figure out their trust list. And over here, via Chesterton and Lewis and other people who have helped us realize that Jesus is the fullness of reality. He is the best way to live. He helps us understand what reality is. And so by going in that direction, not only will you be able to answer those seven questions, you'll be able to do it in a way that is trustworthy. So trustworthy that it's better than all these other options, and that's why we're going with it, right? Right? Like, and if we're not, what I tell my students and what I told you last time is if there's a better option out there, I'm going to go with it. We all would. Because we're going to naturally go with what the best option is. So I don't have to be afraid of these other. I'm not afraid of friendly atheists coming tomorrow. Is it atheist because does he trust in the spiritual realm at all? Does he trust God? No. Since he doesn't trust God, he's not using that. Therefore, he has to come up with the answers to all these big questions on his way. Thank you, Dawkins and Nietzsche and Hitchens and Harris and all them. They don't trust this stuff. They've created their own trust list and they've got their own stories and all their own answers and all their own stuff, right? I don't have to be afraid of that. Because I've got my trust list, and I like it. It works really well for me. <laughs> Honestly, I think it makes better sense than his. But he thinks his makes better sense than mine, and that's where we are, and that's Faith Island. We got it. We're all, are we all on that, on that field? Yes? Okay. So then I don't necessarily need to revisit and review that huge grid, right? But in your handouts that I sent you, we can scroll briefly Everything is based off of trust. We've got trust in the trust list and Faith Island, right? We're all on Faith Island. Nothing, nobody, nobody's got the corner on the market. 
I, you, anybody cannot say with 100% certitude that they know something for 100% certitude. Like, you can't do it, right? You good there? We're all on Faith Island? Levels the playing field. So I can't prove that Jesus is God. I can't prove the Bible is God's word. I can't prove I'm going to heaven. I can't prove any of that stuff. I what? I believe in trustworthy. And is it trustworthy? Yes. Okay. The nice thing is, I can't prove that, bummer, but can Dawkins prove that there is no God? I love chapter (laughs) 4. Why, there almost certainly is not a God. (laughs) He he knows he can't write there is no God. Right? He's trusting this. Okay. So Faith Island levels the playing field. We got the ingredients. We got the whole thing. Philosophy is a tool. And then as you scroll down this, I've got the big chunky paragraphs now, which are really heady and really thick, and it's taken me 14 years to write those help me make them better. They're meant to be a, a paragraph explaining the whole worldview. It's crazy. Fair enough? I'd love for that to be clear. It's hard to make that simpler. Because I need it to be authentic philosophy. So what I did then is I took that grid, which was number six font. This is where I could use your help. I want the grid to be a sentence. You look at the grid, you find the four different answers, and it's one sentence. Does that make sense? I'm having a hard time with it. I would love your help. How do I get that into a sentence? that freshmen, when they're studying, you can understand it. And that at the coffee shop, I can pull up the grid on my phone and be like, hey, look at this, you know. Here's where you are. Help, anybody? That would be great there. But I'm trying to shrink the grid so that you've got the one-sentence stuff there. And here's the axioms. I've got those big axioms. You can run there if you want to. I added to this thing ice cream and insulin. That was a really important debate last year. The students really appreciated that. I thought it was really effective. It's actually Mike Penega. There you go. You can look it up. Therefore, with ice cream and insulin, we've got perfection, which is huge. It gives feet to philosophy. If there's no objective standard, then everything's what? Have a ball. It's relative. It's ice cream. If there is, we've got to shoot for that. And if there is an objective standard, am I going to get it? Do I have to get it on my own? Or is God going to make me perfect morality, ice cream morality, or insulin morality? Fair enough? Pretty good? So then what I tried to do is on these pages, we've got the basic statement, we've got the grid with the questions, and then what we get here is the title, an image, a bumper sticker, right? The paragraph, and then I added this here. Now, I don't want to give a laundry list. This came up last session, and a lot of you have asked me about this. Can we get some more examples of the religions? And like, That will really be helpful. Part of me, like, that's your job, but there's the key. We, we could get a class on world religion. That would be great. I would love that. This is not religion. This is that this is a tool. And you have the seven questions, and you can go to Marxism and ask the questions. You can go to Buddhism and ask the questions, and then you'll find out where they land. Does that make sense? That's the objective tool. You can go to any ism, any religion, any of that kind of stuff. That's where it's going to get its feet. So I will give some pointers. Buddhism, much of Hinduism and Taoism, and a bunch of others. But I'm not going to explain that because that's religion class. Fair enough? That? Yeah? Okay. So I've done that with all of them, right? And then it scrolls through. I've got some images, some pictures to create discussion. I need some help uh, with atheism images. I picked Frankenstein because it's so clear. But I have a hunch that atheists don't really appreciate the monster connection. Right, um, 
so I added the robots, whatever. You know, everybody loves R2D2. But I would love those images, I wanted three or four really good images that represent and create discussion. So feel free to help me with that. Feel free to create some for me if you want. All right. And now Yoda, he's awesome. Theism is right there. Um, I added one here. You've got Judaism, Islam, Christianity, and tribal religions that worship a creator. They're what? Theistic. Are there tribal religions that worship nature? They're dualistic. Does that make sense? Yes? No? Okay, so that's what's really important in regards to that distinction. Free will, I put coexist on here. Uh, people have asked me about that, so I'll take a moment right now. This is a tagline to help us understand dualism and theism. And again, this is in the context of review, right? Just giving you a few things to consider. A very helpful way that I have found to help explain the difference between dualism and theism is this fact that I'm going to call a fact that we have to deal with the fact of human beings. Are we biologically cause and effect chemical reactions? Yes. Theistically, I believe that I have a spirit. That's whose spirit? Matt Dominguez's spirit. Now, are there other spirits in the spiritual realm? That's why we have to test them. Does that make sense? So there's my biology. There's my mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. Right. So mind, spirit. Many of us in the room have asked who to come to live inside. The Holy Spirit. Am I the Holy Spirit? No. Is the Holy Spirit in me? Is my spirit in you? Is the Holy Spirit in you? Is that the same spirit? 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. That's the whole point of 1 Corinthians 12. Is that body, mind, Matt Dominguez's spirit, Holy Spirit. Margaret Becker's spirit, Holy Spirit. And that's the same one. Spirit? We tracking? Are we good? Ready? That's theism. There's also angels and demons and other spirits all over the place, right? Dualism. Biology. Shell, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is in all of these little shells, animating those shells. But there's no what? Individual human spirit. Click? No? Because think about it. I've got my spirit, I've got the Holy Spirit, you got the Holy Spirit, you got the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I hope that we're all one. Is the Holy Spirit in all of us? Is that, the, is that God in all of us? Not, we're okay. We're still in the Bible here. God in us. Yes? It's a mystery of the gospel. Christ in us. It's the same God in all of us. Take out your individual spirit, and that's dualism. It's God in us animating all of us. Yes? No? Yes. I don't know if that's helpful or not. That really helped me because I started, I used theistic language. I used Holy Spirit. I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa. That's dualism. Ah, okay. There's no individual me. I'm just a puppet animated by God, and God's in what? Everything animating the universe. Yeah, here we go. Ready? If you want to catch it, I did this last time. This is then add this to it. I am the universe. I've got a, one spirit in me, and that's animating my body. Is this finger this finger? No, but they're what? They're connected. I'm not Margaret. We're two different independent things, but we're what? connected by that one big universal body that has one spirit that's connecting everything and animating everything. I don't know if helpful or not, but two minutes on that distinction that I have found over the past four years. I get questions on, well, how do we explain dualism? 
We tried Yoda, we tried some other ones, those ones. Good? I'm trying to just be quick. Last one here is the coexist concept on that point then. For materialism, there's no free will. I put coexist underneath theism, because that's the point. Can we believe different things? Respect free will, which God does to us. He made us in the image of God, imago dei, and does God force you to love him? Does he? No, he lets you choose if you're going to love him or not. That's free will. He's asked us to respect that in other people on the planet. So if a Hindu wants to be a Hindu, they can. And I will lovingly respect that and invite them into the way that I think. Can we all live on this planet, coexist, and not kill each other while we try to figure this out? That's the actual origin of coexist. What did the dualists do with it? Of course they did what? They grabbed it. I mean, it's just like, you know, the rainbow, and now where's that? Coexist is really healthy. It's maintaining dignity of a human being to have free will. Because if you take away their free will, they don't, have, they don't have choice. There's no love. Right? And so under theism, we have to have free will. And that means we have to have the opportunity to reject God, which is the foundation of this country. Let people pick. Just don't kill each other in the process. Yes? We good? Okay. So whenever I use fear or manipulation or coercion or guilt to get you to believe in Jesus, I am taking away your dignity. I am not being loving. I am being rude. And I am falling over. I'm glad that had wheels. Right? But I'm not being loving. I'm not being rude. I'm taking away free will. God didn't do that to you. Let's not do it to each other. Fair enough? Okay. Um... Oh, the last thing that I did on this is I talked about consequences. I think one of the healthiest focus of the tool is to show kids consequences of what they trust. Right? It was really powerful this morning because they're all like, but wait, that, that little counselor in the hospital should have said, Jesus is the way. Come on, go, 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 go. And I was like, wait a second. I don't have to force it down his throat. If he wants to be an atheist, can I help him be a really good atheist? Sure. Actually, that's my job. If you want to be an atheist, I will help you be the best atheist you can be. Life is absurd, because if you chop God out, it has no meaning. You have no free will. You have no autonomy. When you die, it's done. How many people want to sign up for that? If Sam Harris just finally published his book, I actually called him out. I don't think he listened to me. But like we had to call him out. I was like, hey, Sam Harris, if you're going to be all angry and be a real atheist, then write a book on free will, because Hitchens ignored it. Dawkins ignored it. We've been ignoring it since Nietzsche, since Nietzsche and Sartre and Camus, who actually said we have no free will. So Sam Harris publishes his book on free will, and do we have free will? No. Well, that didn't sell as well. <laughs> Does that make sense? I'll help you be a great atheist, and what will you realize? Do you really want to be an atheist? Nah, I don't think so. I'll help you be a great idealist, and like we said before, if you want to buy, be an idealist, then you need to become God. You need to make yourself perfect. How's that going to go? Like, and actually, this is where Jesus is not being a jerk, right? He's not being a jerk. He's saying, I'm the only way to get there. Because if you're imperfect and you have to make yourself perfect, can you do it perfectly? No, the only way you can make yourself perfect is you'd have to be perfect to do it. And you're not, so you can't. So let me, let me make you perfect and you're in, is what Jesus is saying. He's not being mean. But if you're an idealist, I'll help you be a really good one, then you've got to make yourself perfect. Go. And that's why I think I mentioned that stat last time. My aunt Sharon, missionary in Mongolia, 50% of the adults in the town she was in were alcoholics because they had what? Just give it up. 
can't do it. It's so hopeless and frustrating. It's awesome. Oh, I love having the international students in my class. And they'll sit there like, yeah, grandma, grandpa are trying to get me to be perfect. It sucks. I hate it. <laughs> right? So I think there's some of that in regards to this consequence thing, right? Consequences of being a dualist, there's no evil. I'm so sorry, but I go to the Theosophical Society and I talk to them about this, and they have to try and rationalize rape and Hitler and the chopping heads off in the Middle East, and that's not good. It's not good. It's not God. God is not that. Unless you want to believe dualism, and who really wants to sign up for that? Look at the calisthenics. I mean, the contortionism that it takes. Fair enough? So that's the approach here. The approach is you're free. You're trusting what you're trusting. I'm trusting what I'm trusting. Let me help you see the consequences of what you're trusting. And when I show you those, what will you realize? Because you're smart and you're powerful, even though you're six. What? They, they, they get it, right? Fair enough? Yeah. How did, uh, when you just talked about, when you talked about with uh, <coughs> How do kids deal with God's sovereignty in that? Do you see what I'm asking there? Yeah, so then God must have a personality in order to be sovereign. And in dualism, what's the personality of God? Everybody has a little piece of that personality. So what's the sovereignty of that God? Everything. Everything. I guess I was more asking, like, you say that evil can't exist. Yeah. But some elements of theism are in it, especially uh, like maybe the Reformed tradition. Yeah. Christian would say that God controls everything. Yeah. How do those work together? How how are those different? I, guess I think that's the beauty of it, right? The beauty of it is that's why I mentioned paradox. Without paradox, we can't figure this out. We can't put the shredded Christ back together without paradox. Because is God in control and is he predestining everything? Yeah. If he's not, what kind of God do we have? Total chump, powerless God. Do we have free will? If not, we're puppets. We're dualists. Yeah. So they're both what? They're both true. And actually, how true? They have to be so true that God is in control of everything. And if I don't have free will, like, screw you, God, free will, then I'm a puppet of God. I'm dualist. So it's, like, that's the grace and works one that I got... I was stuck. I went, grace, grace, grace. Yeah, because I needed to. I was like, grace. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. We've got to work our butts off. Like, we still have to work. Like, we can't abuse that. And then, oh, yeah, there's that verse that says, make your entire life a living sacrifice. How much work should we do? Seriously. Every single breath should be work for God. Work our butts off, die daily. And ready? Water that down. Don't work, don't work hard for God. Water it down. What do we got? Half. I can't say that in fact. Shakespeare class. <laughs> Half cheek Christianity. But water down, water down grace, which is what we've done. Water down grace and what? You get legalism. You get legalism and it sucks and we're stuck under the yoke of slavery. So they're both what? They're both true. So here's what I do with that scenario. The reason why dualism exists is we've tried to water down the paradox. Does that make sense? Yeah. Ah, well, wait, I, I don't have, I, I, I have free will, but I, I prefer God to be in control of everything. Yeah. So maybe he is. Actually, that's all he is, and now there's no human. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. 
Did that help? Yeah. Good. This is why we're here, right? This is why we're here. Keep going? I'm almost done with summary stuff then. Almost done with summary. Then we're going to open it up. Yeah, paradox is a seeming contradiction that makes sense with a higher plane of thinking. It's that whole, if I ever write a book, that's the one I would love to write, but I don't know how to do that again. You just kind of get that in writing. <laughs> right, but that's the fun thing about the paradox concept is you just go through them and you start realizing boom, 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 boom. That's how we stitch this back, which was what I was going to end on, but we'll just go there right now. Yeah. No, no, no. Can no. you explain what an axiom is? Yes, I can. It's not, you're not slow. That's a weird word. I have to use it because it's a philosophy word, right? Just explain it. It's a truth that you can't prove. Yes. It's a truth that you can't prove. It's like your core Let's add to that. It's a well accepted truth that we can't prove. That's how math creates. That's why I teach that with Mr. Sutton. We just have that point of location. If you don't do that in geometry, you don't. You're not. Axiom. So the axiom. You can't go deeper than an axiom. It's, it's rock bottom. It's scraping the bottom of the barrel. My students, it's so fun when I do this in class because they're all like, why are you doing this for 45 minutes of my life? But if we don't go there, you can't build off of anything. You have to build off of something. So, for example, law of non-contradictions is an axiom. It can't be true and false at the same time. Well, yeah, okay. Actually, if you're a dualist, can it? Sure, because <laughs> God is true and false at the same time. Because you just be looking at reality. Anyways, I'm going too far. That's my ADD. Love that stallion. All right. So interview a friend or a neighbor. This is the tool then. The tool is go interview someone. Go talk with someone and find out what their trust list is. And then ultimately what do we get to do as students? Hey, what you're trusting, how's that going for you? You believe that you're ugly and that God is a jerk and that you could lose your salvation, and you also believe, right, you believe, you trust in that you're still a sinner even though God saved you. How's that going? By the way, for those of you who have been there, how did that go? <laughs> right, eight years of therapy, clinical depression, suicidal. It sucks. <laughs> but I was there because I trusted those things as true, so what do we get to do as students? You're trusting that. What are the consequences of trusting that? Yeah, your life right now. And this is suicide of thought in a sentence. This is why suicide of thought doesn't exist. Suicide of thought is, because we, we went there last time. Everything's based off of trust. And my access to it is, you know, I have to trust my access to it. And I, it's nothing, I can't really get there with knowing anything. Oh my gosh. So if everything's based off of trust, and nothing's really trustworthy, or my access to the objective stuff is untrustworthy, then I shouldn't what? Trust anything. Right? That's suicide of thought. That's pure agnosticism. How did you get there? I can't trust anything. How did you get there? You had to trust what? That thought. How did you get to the... I almost... The Shakespeare's in my brain. I was recording it. How did you get this crappy life that you're in, <coughs> right? By trusting all these things that are lies or have truths or have crappy consequences. Oh, the words that you only saw in my brain right now. Right? <laughs> I got there by trusting those things. I got to the suicide of thought because I trusted that I can't trust anything. Well, what can you start doing? Since you trusted that thought, do what? Trust a different thought. Trust that God is good. 
trust that you're beautiful. Trust that you're adored and beloved. Trust that grace actually works, and you will start doing what? Going in the direction. That's the tool. So you use the tool to find out what people trust, help them see the consequences of it, and then what do we do? If you would, you invite, if you'd like to live differently, I got this really sweet history curriculum that shows you that this is trustworthy. I got this awesome Bible curriculum that shows how biology is accurate and awesome. And by by adding in the supernatural to this equation, look what happens now. All right, you know, fair enough. Okay, so. Here's the ending then. I'll wrap it up and then I'm done. A half hour of intro. So ready? The, so that's the philosophy, that's the tool. What's the theology now? This is our classroom. This is your job. This is what you guys are doing in all your different classes in psychology. And I just keep going and name them all. Is we're showing that Christ is trustworthy in this field and in art and in all these different things and in dance. And the way that I do what I do is through this perspective, through a Christian theistic perspective, because Christ is the fullest of reality, it's the best way to live, and it's really what? Trustworthy. Because will they shift their trust if it's not trustworthy? No. Got it? That's, that's it. So I give you my quick takeaway and example for tomorrow. Right? If you get to know friendly atheists, you'll realize that one of the reasons why he's not an atheist, or excuse me, why he's not a theist, is because he does not see any evidence of the supernatural. If you walked into most churches, like Nietzsche several hundred years ago, we could exclaim that God is dead and has remained dead, because are we seeing trustworthy evidence of supernatural involvement in the physical material realm? Well, by our definitions, yeah, someone's lo more loving, and someone's more kind, and someone's saved and they believe something different. Yes, 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 yes. But what about Paul and Peter? Did they have stuff? Come on, what, did they have stuff? Yeah, yeah guy's got a broken leg. God's going to touch you. He does, and okay. Now, if that happened in my classroom tomorrow, what would Hemet have to deal with? The supernatural invading the natural through biology, chemistry, and physics, but right, if I, if, I mean, I don't know, if, if I started lifting off the ground and levitating with no strings attached, he'd have to deal with that tomorrow. And most of our culture would call it demonic, whatever. I mean, it happened in the Bible. People got airlifted all the time, right? Like, not all the time, but several times in the Bible. Like, if that happened tomorrow, I'm floating around the classroom, what will he have to deal with in my classroom tomorrow? The supernatural. Like, that's naturally, physically possible. He'll call Dawkins. Hey, uh, Dawkins, we got a problem here. <laughs> How does that work genetically and physically and biologically? And uh, we're going to call the physicists and the chemists and make that fit into what? The physical. And will they? Yeah, they'll, they'll say that they were hallucinating. It was drugs. It didn't really happen. Well, they got all the answers. I'm not trying to... I'm just saying we could do a better job as Christians providing what? Making it what? Really hard. Like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? Oh my gosh, that's the testimony, that's the stuff. And that's, that's my example of this trustless thing. So many atheists and so many Christians are frustrated because we're becoming so materialistic because we're forgetting that we believe we're theists, the natural and the supernatural, and they're involved and they're connected daily. I think that's why it was so explosive back in the day, right? Now, does that get abused? Yes. 
did they believe Jesus' miracles? For crying out loud. What did they do with the guy? They killed him. They didn't believe him. He right in front of him. You can't get more evidence than Jesus. Like, hey, Lazarus, come back. What would they would have done? Oh, it was a coma for three days. Like, whatever. Like, they killed him. I'm not saying that that's going to solve it all. I'm just saying it makes it really hard. It makes it so hard that they want to kill him and shut him off. Tracking? By the way, who are the ones that killed him? The, the, the Christians. Like, the religious people. They weren't Christians. I know. They, Jesus wasn't even a Christian. I get it. But, you know, like, those who believed in Yahweh killed the man who was giving evidence of the spiritual and the supernatural. I'm not saying it's going to solve it. I just want to make it really hard for them. And we haven't done a really good job of that. Maybe you have. Bless you. I have not done a very good job. I'm working on it. It's been a long road. <laughs> yes? I'm praying ahead of time to something soon. That's what happens. It'll be really, really fun and it'll be really cool, right? And guess what I'm going to start doing with my life? Building a loving, safe, courageous, bold environment where I just start asking him to do more. Can I control God? Are there... Now, I want to be really careful. Are there denominations that have created abusive theology around this where we blame the victim, where we use the Holy Spirit as like a gun, and like, I'm going to do that. I'm commanding the king what to do. Do those denominations exist? Yes, but ready? This is the beauty of it. That's an abuse of a what? A truth where a loving, courageous, bold, safe environment can allow for these things to happen. And I'm just going to start asking more and looking, leaning into it more and then recording them. Want to help? <laughs> I'm going to create a blog called a Walk on Water blog. And just start writing down supernatural stuff and they could say it's all lies and made up because they probably will, but... Here we go. But I'd love to do. Let's find an x-ray with like broken leg, not broken leg, and stick it up there. And then of course we'll say that those are far, but will they be? No. I mean like, I'm just going to do, I want to try and live where I expect that to happen. And let's see what happens. Uh, so yeah, to answer your question, I came prepared today because I'm not, I, I'm going to pray tomorrow that something happens. But I'm going to do it. Here's the key in all of this. This is where I... I, I I'm not going to be rude to him. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to make it safe for him. No shame. No guilt. No condemnation. No punishment. Jesus erased all that. Make it really safe and loving. But ask God to show up in a way that's unexplainable by me or him or anybody, really. And, and then honor it. And just let him decide. Let him respond. So can I can I prove it? If something happened tomorrow, can I prove that it was God? That's the benefit of this whole concept. It's all trust anyway. If you choose not to trust it, that was his choice. But I'm making it a little harder, right? And by the way, when that stuff shows up for me, what will that do to my trust in the supernatural? It will keep growing. Fair enough. Miss Tilly, I hope this is why we're here. Can I, thank you. Can I lean into that? I want to go so far as to say that when I have my little walk on water club or whatever it is, I'm going to bring Mandy, who's not healed and dying, 
Oh, ah. yeah. What's the supernatural for her who's not getting healed by a loving, kind father who could heal like that? What's the supernatural? She's not what? Bitter. She still loves God. I would love for the whole, well, maybe no better. That'd be really fun. I don't, I don't need that. She doesn't need that because guess what? We got the walk. Mandy is walking on water right now. I don't think, I don't know. I, I hope that I could do it. The only way that I could be where she is right now is through supernatural sustenance. She is walking on water. She's doing something that humans can't do, which is praise and worship God while your body falls apart. And you're 30. Right? That's supernatural. Now, will Hemant see that tomorrow? Now, he'll call it psychology. He'll call it wishful thinking. He'll call it delusionary. He'll call it whatever he wants. He might, he might honor her because he's a friendly atheist and say, she's a real trooper. I'll be like, dude, that's not possible without the supernatural. But I'm trusting that. that. Yes? Thank you for the encouragement. I think that's the thing is we haven't created enough space for what is supernatural, which is, you know, a lot of people who are experiencing miracles, even resurrections of the dead, all that stuff over the planet that's all, in, you know, trying to test those spirits. Heidi Baker, who's on the front line, says her favorite miracle is a transformed life. Because who's the only one that can transform a life? Try it. Try using control. Try using just psychology. Try using fear. Try using manipulation. And you can transform behavior, but you can't touch what? Someone's heart. You can't. And so when she watches someone's heart change, she's like, favorite miracle. And she's been, you know, connected with healing deaf people, like 500 deaf people. Her favorite miracle is someone who hated God and now loved him. And quite frankly, it's probably my favorite one too. When I watch a student change, are we still are we still tracking? Are we okay with this discussion right now? Keep going, because I want to make sure we hit some stuff that's applied, and then we'll take one or two more, and then I want to kind of blow it up for discussion on some other questions. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I'm on the front so, lines, right? That's my job. Which is That was me. I went here. And uh, I was all cerebral in my Christianity, which is all right, but I got clobbered after I left. My brother Ben became a shaman, right? He thought he had his trust, but he was, he was helping out with the youth group at College Church. Love College Church. So he was helping out there. I said, that's Ben. Can I do that? And he becomes a shaman. Because he thought he had a trust list. He thought it was solid, and it really wasn't. And then these guys were more trustworthy because they're levitating and bending flame and healing people, but not calling on Jesus. And he's like, well, that's cool, and they're not doing it there, so I'm going to start trusting shamanism. And then find out later that he was being deceived, and it was not trustworthy, and it was a full, full of hate that he was eating, right? And someone was trying to trick him. But he appeared as an angel of light. He appeared as community. He appeared as trustworthy. He appeared with supernatural things that we see in Scripture. The Egyptians do the snake thing, but it's not of God, right? We can't discern, discern and differentiate. So does that answer your question? Does that help? Yeah. I think we're good. Let's just open up for discussion. I feel like 
we got the summary, right? And this is why we're here. Let's, I had a half an hour blocked out for just questions. Let's just start chatting it up. So trust is not uh, a logical thing that like, you just decide or understand an idea and accomplish. <laughs> so like, I think to add to what you're saying, like, more than just our students, like, if I go through this trust list, it probably might change daily. Like at my worst moments when I'm tired, yeah. like that changes. Uh, like one of the things I hope for our students to see is that trust is not something to be accomplished. Uh, or it's not something you can just simply like, understand and accomplish, but it is a practice. It's, it's a lifestyle. And, uh, and like, I think some of um, some of what is off-putting to non-Christians about some Christians is the idea of like, well, I understand it, so therefore I'm good. I got it. Whereas trust is complicated, and sometimes it's people outside of Christianity people inside, and uh, I think if our kids understand just the term trust from this, I think it'll be a pretty good thing. I agree. Uh, can, I, can I add to what you're saying? Yeah. This is what I had theoretically set up for the last half hour. We don't need, I don't want to go there right now. We don't even have to go there at all. But here's where I would go so far as to say, let's take that ego uh, into it, as opposed to away from it. What I was going to do, what I'm really trying to do, is I want to find the best way possible to honor these other trust lists. Because remember, if you rip Christ up and you've got Christ's arm, you still have what? Christ's arm. <laughs> it's not too shabby. I'd rather have his arm than mine. Right? If you take a masterpiece painting and cut it, if I take Sean's painting, I cut it into four pieces, I still have a piece of what? I'm a caliber. That's awesome. But we want to go around and say atheism, oh, that's a bunch of stuff. I scoop a lot. Thank you. You look that up later. Right? That's a bunch of, you know, and we're like, no, no, no. Atheism has a piece of Christ. This is actually why I love it in that context. Existentialism really helps us out. If I'm dotting right now, but I was baptized when I was 12, I believed when? In existential time and space physical reality that God was going to save me. Really? Yep. I'm doubting now, but did that happen? Yeah, thank you, thank you, atheism for existentialism. Like physical reality helps me on that because sealed for the day of redemption. That's done. And I could be all over the map now. My brother can become a shaman, and I'll see him in heaven because he believed. Amen. That makes like I think some of that stuff really helps. But that's what I want to do. Is I was going to have you guys divide up into groups. Where's the truth in idealism? What's honor idealism? Where's all the awesome truth in idealism? I gave you a words of the Buddha, half of these are like, oh my gosh, the other half are like, oh, the whole love casting out hate thing that Martin Luther and that, uh, and that King Jr. and all that, right? Martin Luther King Jr., that's right, oh my gosh, sorry. He got that from Buddha. <laughs> so Martin Luther King Jr., as a Christian, is using a Buddhist quote, and he's almost most famous for it. Because there's truth in Buddhism, tons of it, awesome truth in Buddhism. There's amazing truth in existentialism and atheism, and quite frankly, Solomon wrote the first atheism book. It's in our Bible. You don't have to fight it. There's truth there. I was going to have us get together in little slums and be like, okay, dualism. How can we love the dualists? Where's all the truth in dualism? And how can we connect those dots so we can honor the dualists at the Theo Fest that happened two weeks ago? And I went there, 
And I could have come in and judged them and condemned them. And I walked around Theosophical Society where they had their little tents on. Like, they believe in spiritual realm. They believe in prophecy. They're trying to do prophecy. They're just doing it in the wrong way. Like, uh, uh, they believe all this great stuff. And I'm not even doing it in my own church. for crying out loud, right? I can honor them for the truth that they understand about the unity of Christ. Fair enough? Like, that's what I want to get. Like, that would be a great approach to take that even further. Is how do we honor? I really want to honor which makes it really inviting. But then we're not, it's us versus them. So in your class, you say, look what these guys teach us. And they're not even from where we are. That's really cool. And then we can invite, we can connect, we can learn, we can grow. And mo- a lot of them believe stuff better than we do. Can I do a minute on it? This is brand new, literally two weeks ago on this. This is where I want to go with it. I need your help. What I want to do is say, idealists really get God the Father. They understand the spirituality of God the Father. They believe that that spiritual realm is really real. It's objective. It's perfect. And we have to attain perfection. That's all idealism. They got that truth. They're just missing what? Jesus. The physical side of it, right? And and that theistic independence side of it. But they have that Father God stuff. Who do the materialists really get? And I bet Hennig would understand him and be fine with Jesus, right? Real person. Really smart, really wise, really awesome. Said some weird stuff about being God. That cost him his life. Bummer, shouldn't have said that. But most materialists will not have a problem with Jesus, the person, because he was a physical person, walking around saying really wise things, like golden rule. If you go to Hammond's church, he's got an atheist church in the North Shore, they, they quote the golden rule for their kids in their Sunday school class. They do church just without God. But they quote Jesus there. He's probably fine with Jesus. Does that make sense? How about dualists? What do they got? They totally got it figured out. Holy Spirit. They're rocking it. Way better than many of us in, in a lot of respects. They got it. They're leaning into it. They're trying to do tarot cards and prophecy and healings and unity and save the, the steward of creation. They get that. And then the, the last one that's been hard for me to figure out is what about theism then? How can we honor theism? And I realized it. Maybe I'm going to help me out with this one. So we got... Idealism, Father God. Materialism, Jesus. Dualism, Holy Spirit. See how we got the fullness of Christ here? And guess what we have in theism? We have this religious, relational attempt to try and connect all those dots. So we have this religious approach to Christ, which he did not abolish that in some respects. He just said that's a means to an end. So under theism, if we stop at religion, we become religious. When the fullness of Christ is not a... Jesus, he didn't start a religion. He actually stopped one. The fullness of Christ, you're missing out on theism if you stop at religion because it's really about a what? Relationship with an individual being for intimacy and love and freedom. Yeah? So as I'm talking about that quadrant of the masterpiece that's ripped up, a paradox lets us get that all back together and realize they each have this beautiful truth. The problem is it's a piece of it. Oh, yeah? All right, thanks for listening. Man. Yeah, now let's do this. That, that finishes my slideshow, is that last little thing about honor and those little support things. So I'm going to kind of, the silly strips, right? There we go. Let's open it up. How about for seven, eight, ten minutes? What questions do you have as you've been trying to teach, process, get this into your classroom, or just in general from what I've been talking about for three or four years and many of you have been sitting on this, how can I help? Yeah. Because I'm really 
Movie guy, yeah. The trust, the trust image. Yeah. What comes to mind is uh, in the end, John's the last crusade. And I got the got that book that says at this point you gotta step out and it's that step of faith and there's nothing underneath that and you gotta make that first step to realize that sturdy foundation and realize it's not but I feel like trust is based on conflict at yeah. some point. Like our students are getting where is the ledge for our students for them to understand what they're trusting in, in the first place? Because I deal with a lot of people that are so protected from everything in their life yeah. that that doesn't ever get to the ledge. I mean, they're backed away so far that they don't understand what the ledge is. And so sometimes that isn't until college. But are there smaller ledges that uh, you all have figured out a way to say, hey, this is this is what you're basing your trust on because here's your conflict in life? Does that make sense? I, I want to be dumb so Don't look to me right now. Look at him and look at each other. Great question. Because I have a thought, and we'll go there in a second, but what are you guys finding as you work with students? Because I think that's the beauty of high school. Right? In high school, we're looking at the little legends, hopefully. Thoughts? I don't know if I've, I don't know if I, I'm trying to tie what you're saying into my subject matter, and maybe you can untie it or whatever, <laughs> people can, but I'm thinking, I actually, with this whole trust thing, I remember verbally at like day two or three of class, literally asking my students to trust me yeah. that I am going to um, help them become better singers, in, in essence, and I went further than that. But, um, but there was a, a sense where ultimately what's going to take place is um, I encourage them to sing something boldly, and I don't care if you make a mistake, it's totally fine, that's part of the process. And um, and then how I react to that is what ultimately is going to say whether they can trust me or not. If they do that after I said that, and I'm like, "Come on, sing that in tune! Are you kidding me?" and you know, shame them, then it's not going to go anywhere. But so I, I think of these little ledges. I think we can set up conditions in our classroom in some ways that that give them opportunities to step out on little moments of trust. And I, that's my subject matter. I'm not sure how that plays into other things, but um, it's just a thought that I have. I would throw out that Gene and, and uh, Steve and Corey would fight all over that. And you can do whatever you want with the living curriculum thing, <laughs> but what are parents paying for? Trustworthy teachers that our kids can step out on. Because I'm supposed to get Ann and Eli to trust me, but well, I'm going to drop the ball. So eventually they're going to have to start doing what? Trusting other people. I'd love for them to come here. You guys are trustworthy. I think that's a big one. Yeah. Um, just to piggyback on what Joel was saying. Nice and loud. There's a fan. Sorry. It's hard Sorry. to do. Okay. You're good. Um, Got to well, shout. There's a, a fan. Big, <laughs> a big thing about the arts, I think, especially in my subject matter, yeah. is teaching the kids to trust themselves. Yeah. And trust their bodies and trust their minds and whatever it is that you're trying to teach them. Because if you just say, like, yeah, you can trust me to teach you this, but maybe you can or can't do it, like, that's a big deal, too. Especially when in advanced class, like, they have to physically do things. And a lot of them don't think that they can. Yeah. But once they realize, like, oh, my gosh, what just, what did my body just do? They get excited <laughs> about it, and they keep doing it and trying different things and keep continuing to grow. 
you wanted to take away from this afternoon, a practical takeaway to your class like this week, I love that breakdown of the little step. How can we get kids more aware of trust and what they're trusting and is it working or not? And then is your subject area offering them something trustworthy to help them navigate? Practical, concrete, my sentence wasn't, but the application. I would say that prior to every resurrection, there is a death. So that there has to be failure built in. The most intriguing and solid of testimonies come from struggle and striving. The most sincere transformations appear when there is So, you know, I think of think of things that I've been through uh, to have the perspective I have on my life that I'm affected by my experiences. Not everybody has my experience. Not everybody should have to have my experience. But how do we, in our in our classrooms and in this culture, how do we bring about opportunities for? struggle, the failure, uh, and and then allow for you know, a, a resurrection moment out of that. If it's not safe enough for a death, will they risk it? They won't. I won't. You and I won't. If it's not safe enough to make a mistake or have a death, we won't get that death to learn how to maybe what you're trusting has to what? Die. I put the Wendell Berry poem in there. Practice resurrection. It's the last line. I love it. we got to be able to practice resurrection. In order to have a resurrection, you got to have a death. So some of these kids need to let what they're trusting die. And I think if we could do that in safe manner, like when they get to my class, what, <laughs> whatever, we kill a lot of stuff. But they can have safe little ways to let some stuff die to start shifting that trust. I think it's really powerful. Lehman? I think we have to model that. Uh, one of the things that in, in history I get to tell stories, my own and historical stories, where there is a death and a resurrection of something, of someone, of a nation, of an empire, whatever. Um, then they can say, like, oh, I, I remember this thing. Uh, therefore, I, I will step out on a ledge because I've, I've heard about it. I've seen it. We talked about it one day. So, yeah, I think there's this curriculum you're talking about. It's affirming them in their singing. Like, they're going to step out there, and it's not going to be perfect, and it's going to be okay. We have to model that first. Um, so we, I have to get it, and I have to use love and encouragement and support and not guilt every day or it unravels. Uh, and when I do, on the days when it happens, when I do use guilt and shame, because I have, I have to admit it. And I have to die in that moment. And I have to look that kid, I have to look that class in the face and say, look, I messed up. That's not how it's supposed to go. And the moments when I've done that, I've been like super painful and really gnarly, and I hate it because I step on people. But some of the relationships and the conversations 
post that are awesome. Are, are there? I don't want to revisit the pain. I don't want to step on kids, but the result. I mean, if if God is redemptive, that is proof that good comes out of pain. Because if there's no God, then no good would ever come out of pain. And I think in that context, put put that as, do we trust in a God who can redeem any of the pain and any of the failure? And then we give examples of where he has done that and show them that he's trustworthy in doing that. I think it's huge, right? Which gives a freedom and a grace. Can I plant a seed on something that's been really powerful for me to watch, working with the science department, and particularly with Leah for, for Z when she was here trying to like, I want to get into my class, I want to get into my class, you know, what the heck, and math. And part of it is in science and math, you get to show that science and math are really what? Trustworthy. <laughs> They're awesome. That might be your sentence that integrates this. I'm going to show you something that's really trustworthy to help you navigate life. But if you don't add in that, but when you encounter things that aren't mathematical in this world, or when something in the law of physics is broken right in front of you, what are you going to trust in that moment? And what does Dawkins have to trust? That he hasn't figured it out yet, and he will be able to scientifically, versus our math and science teachers here who know to integrate supernaturality. Can I say that? Is that a word? It is now. Shakespeare, right? (laughs) Integrate the supernatural into this cause and effect system that we're in. If I can't say that in a sentence to a kid, I can't help them understand how to explain that when it happens. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck in math, trying to figure out all the mathematical equations, or stuck in biology or chemistry, which is observed and powerful and structured and trustworthy. But when a virgin gives birth, sorry, but either we're going to have to figure that out biologically, and and Dawkins is going to have to figure that one out, or or it's a lie didn't happen. Does that make sense? When someone walks on water, the teachers at this school will allow that because just, they don't have to teach all the philosophy. Teach really good biology, teach really good math. But show students that when this stuff happens, it's trustworthy still. And I can fit that in and make that work. I think that's, that's the favor and the gift. Can I, can I do one thing real quick in regards to, since we're talking a ton about trust and faith, it'll take three minutes. If I already, did I do the whole chair thing with you guys last time we met? This will be fun because I think this will help us real quick in the trust. Everybody stand up in front of a chair or something to sit on. Just whatever you're, if you just pause and indulge, just play along for a second. This is what we often don't understand about faith. This is what makes it really, really complex as we look at faith. Uh, and I'll tell you, this talk about shifting trust, right? Faith without works is what? Come on. Dead. Faith without works is dead, right? So we say, if we don't see your works, then you have no faith, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I have this big, huge tagline, you will live what you believe, right? Because if you say you believe you give to the poor and you never do, do you believe you should give to the poor? Come on. You don't believe it. You can say it all you want. If you're not doing it, you don't really believe it, Right? If I say that I believe we should love and be kind and I'm not that, then I don't believe it. I can say it all I want. We good? Are we on that? So ready? Who here believes, you've got to be in front of a chair. Who here, raise your hand if you believe that the chair behind you will hold you up. It's an actual belief. Who's willing to confess with their mouth? So you believe in your heart that the chair will hold you? 
Confess with your mouth right now. Say it after me. I believe the chair behind me will hold me. Ready? I believe the chair behind me will hold me. Do you have to sit? What did you just do? Ah, oh, sorry. What did you just do? You just separated belief and action. It's possible. Is your belief real? Wait, no, no, wait, no, wait. Don't sit yet. Does he have to sit? Does he have that belief that the chair will hold him? Do you believe yes, it? Do you confess it with your mouth? Yes. Do you believe in your heart that the chair will save you? Yes. Do you ever have to sit? Is the belief real? Yes. This is great. You don't have to sit. What saves you? Action? Sitting in the chair saves you? Or what did Jesus say saves us? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're what? You're in. You're in. What saves you? Belief. Does sitting save you? We just separated belief and action. We actually did it. Now people say that you can't. Why is Jesus so clear about this? You, you have to be clear because he says faith saves you. If you want it, sit. Go ahead and sit. It's fine. But ready? Here's the scoop. Do you have to sit in order to believe that it will save you? No. Now, wait a second, though. What do we do with this verse? Sitting, believing without sitting is what? Dead. Dead. Here's the scoop. It's actually useless is the word that James uses. And he's writing so that we won't sin. He says it himself in there. Faith without works is useless. It really is. It's useless. Do any of you know that I believe? Because could I, could you be standing, do you mind real quick again? Could you be, could you be lying to me and say you believe? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Could he sit without believing? We can do an action without the faith. That makes sense? Why does Jesus says don't judge and don't condemn? Not because it's a bad thing to do, but because what? I, I can't. I actually can't judge and condemn. Can I know whether or not you believe the chair? Is there any way for me to know? You can lie to me. I can't see your heart. There's no way I can know. It's between you and yourself and if there's a God who you and God. I can't judge you. I need to stop judging you. This is why we can't base someone's salvation off of their actions. We can't do it. Now, that's, that's a can of worms in three minutes. Let's all sit real quick. Let me give one last thought. Here's the thought. James says, faith, what's the word? Without. What does that mean? Zero. Zero action. What do we want to do in our religious culture? Faith without 300 works is dead. Faith without these works is dead. Jesus says, give a cup of water to someone. Hitler probably did that. No, we don't need to go there. We don't need to go there. You know what I'm saying? Like, we want to quantify. Does Jesus quantify the faith? Only when he's talking about not doing more miracles for them. He doesn't quantify faith in regards to salvation. I've checked. I might be wrong. Hit me with it if I am. He doesn't quantify it. We want to quantify it. Does that make sense? We can separate faith and action. Here's the complex thing about trust that we've been talking about with our students. Is here's the thing. Can I believe that the chair will hold me and not believe it will hold me at the same time? At the same time. Yeah, you can have multiple beliefs in your head. That's not what happens. <laughs> this is where it gets really, really messy. We need to get off of each other's backs in regards to using behavior to assess belief. We've got to start trusting each other. We've got to build a safe place for loving. And then, ready? Here's the next question. How come you're not sitting? What do I want to say? I want to say, he's not sitting, therefore he what? Doesn't believe. 
doesn't believe. That is a logical fallacy. It is. It's a logical fallacy. I cannot say he's not sitting, therefore he doesn't believe. What I can say is, hey, do you believe that the chair will hold you? Okay, can I prove that? Can I know? So what I have to do? What did Jesus say to you? Trust. Okay, so you believe it'll hold you. So you're in, done. What's what's the better question for all of us as teachers of meeting Kevin? What should I ask him right now? How come you're not? You say you believe, but how come you're not? I believe you're in. I believe you can still hold up. We're not talking about your beliefs. I didn't mean, why. I've been commanded not to. But I can say, you know what? It concerns me that you're not sitting in that chair. And are there a gazillion reasons why people might not go to church or might not trust Jesus or might not trust their pastor? But yeah, especially if, well, we won't go there. But like, there's plenty of reasons why he might not trust the chair. The four other ones that he sat on broke. I believe that Jesus one's going to hold me, but I just don't want to what? Oh, this kid's, you know, we can give the laundry list of bad deeds at Wheaton Academy. They're not a Christian. C.S. Lewis, I did this in chapel, right? C.S. Lewis talks about crappy Christian and not a Christian and good Christian. And there are bad Christians. Doesn't mean they're not Christian. <laughs> they just suck at it. Nice thing, man. Whatever. I can help you edit that. Hey, uh, thank you. Like, whatever. <laughs> at least you don't have to edit the other ones. Oh, my God. Is that worth five minutes of your life right there? I think it's important. Now, hands shot up. Let's process that if we want to. It's complex. Keep in mind, what did we talk about earlier? What's the only way to hold that together? What's the glue there? Paradox. Paradox. We should be sitting. Come on, we got to sit. Is Jesus trustworthy? Yes, so sit, 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 sit. got to say that carefully. Sit. Right? <laughs> Trust. But do you have to sit? Do any of our kids have to give us a laundry list of evidence that they're Christian and they're saved? No, stop asking them for it. Stop making them do it. Stop shaming them when they don't. Right? However, so that's grace. You're in. You believe. You're in. How come, how come you don't trust Jesus very much? How come you don't like him? What's going on there? Let's have those conversations without being accusatory and help them trust him more. Fair enough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm preaching now and I'm yelling because I'm all passionate. I'm really excited about this, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll stop talking. Questions? As their hands went up and then they went back down. Did you have one before? Yeah? I think it might just be helpful, though, not to overstress the... I think it's super good to be like, yeah, come on, watch how I sit. I'm all about that. Yeah. But I don't know about stressing the... I, I think it just might go beyond scripture to say, to build up in them, the standing person... Yes, you do believe. Yes, 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 you do. What's the better way to do that? I agree. I agree. Everybody hear that? I agree. Yes. But I can't undercut grace because if they're not, if, ready? This is the loophole. This is the big old loophole. And by the way, it's huge loophole. Well, I teach this in my class. I'm very careful in that moment. Do you mind if we were using this example? (laughs) 
But this is, to me, is, do you really believe that Jesus was a human being who walked the planet, who was God, who did miraculous signs and wonders, died on an actual physical cross, and came back to life three days later, and you know, gave his Holy Spirit to the people? Do you really believe in that Jesus? Mm-hmm. Not like what Lewis says, which is some intellectual assent. Mm-hmm. Not like this believing in a story. Not believing in a, in a religious system not believing in all the facts about Christianity, but believing in who? The man, Jesus Christ, really, really real. I can't go beyond that, and that's great. But i got to stress that. Right? If they say yes, i got to trust it. Right? Yes. But, however, if we stay there, what will happen? We're going to abuse it way too much, do we? Yeah, we abuse it way too much, but it's not great for to be abused. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to add in, see, that's true, what's the paradox? What's the other side of that? What are you getting at? How about some answers? Yeah, even for them to build up in themselves a confidence that my belief is authentic. How many of you believe the chair is going to hold you up now that you're what? Sitting. Hey, there we go. So what can we encourage people to do? Trust Jesus. Trust him. Watch it. Trust him. Okay, hey, the more I do, the more he's trustworthy. And now, what does grace do? Grace lets you do all that stuff without fear. It takes away fear, and it allows for a change of motivation. But here's the key. It has to be what, though? Real grace, which means I don't have to sit. Mm -hmm. That is real grace. Mm -hmm. Once I don't have to sit, sit! (laughs) Come on! Mm -hmm. Sit because it's the best way to live. Sit because it's awesome. Sit because he's trustworthy. I don't want to keep saying sit because I'm going to mess it up. All right. But like, I think we've got to realize, like, yes, the other side of that is, go for it, he's totally trustworthy, but you don't have to. You're not motivated by fear. You're motivated by love. So here's the scoop. If it's not real grace, add one thing you have to do. Ready? Add one thing you have to do to Christianity to be saved. What does it do? What will we all do? Figure out what that is and get on it, because if we don't, we're what? We want to help. You instantly add fear if you add one thing. You can't add one thing. That's this new resurgence of grace. Let's run with it. Go for it. Will it get abused? Yes. So what we need to do, without shame and guilt and fear, honestly, add this other stuff. If you're trustworthy, your life is a living sacrifice. They're both true. Push them all the way up against the wall. I agree. Amen, sister. And ready? I apologize. Sincere apology. I, I was way over on the side for like three or four years there. Some of you were part of that journey. I was like, Ray! You don't have to do anything. You know, you can sin and get away with it and go to heaven. And, and you, you can. I shouldn't say that as much as I do, <laughs> right? You know, but I want them to really understand grace. And I was all fired up about it. And now what do I balance it way more with now? Way more with this balance of like, you don't want to miss out. You don't want to screw that up. You don't want to abuse grace. And sin brings death and more death and more death. And not sitting creates doubt. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Is that helpful? I I would love to know if there's a philosophical way to incorporate this, but I feel like what Margaret's talking about is um, the action piece of it is is abiding. Yes, amen. And and then there's fruit. So it's not just, oh, I see a response that, oh, it is trustworthy. I also see fruit from my action being brought forth. And that is, like, even more 
personally, it's even more encouraging than just, oh, it worked. It's, oh, it worked, and it was a blessing, and other people were blessed by it. And then there's, like, it's tangible on so many levels. I don't know if there's a philosophical way to go with that, Maybe but I'd love to know if there is. Well, think of all the verse that starts coming to mind, too. Because in James, he says, can such faith save you? Well, ironically, it was a rhetorical question. Yeah, it can. But the other side of that is all these other laundry lists where Jesus is like, he's pissed at the guy who doesn't, you know, produce fruit with the coin. And, you know, there's all this stuff where there's consequences that are negative. I've, I've done the research on it. I could do more. Help me out with this. But if you notice, almost all of those parables are not about salvation. They're about the quality of your life. They're about bearing fruit. Right? Faith without works is dead. It's useless. Your faith, okay, you'll get in, uh, you, you're going through fire, and what's left? Your faith. You can do jack squat, right? You're in heaven, fine, but your whole life just got burned up because it was pointless, right? You're like, thank you, Holy Spirit, for getting me in. I'm not feeling a little naked right now because I didn't do anything. Does that make sense? I think we help people realize that Jesus is the way the best way to live, and that fruit is awesome. You get to give fruit away. You get bear fruit. You get a meaningful life. But that's all being motivated now, not by fear, but about not missing out on an awesome life, right? Because whatever is not connected to the fruit and the vine gets burned up. It's done. It's pointless and useless. Thank you, materialism. And idealism, really. It's all shadow and garbage. You right. talked about that idea of sort of kingdom living now. Yeah. Like, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't make a profession of faith because we want to go to heaven later on. Like, yeah. we want to go there now. Yeah. Now, we're done in three minutes. Can I use the last three to give a thought? I put the poems out there because I wanted just to give a little example of where you see this in literature and writing and poetry. I also gave you words of the Buddha. We were going to potentially break into groups and look at the honoring the truth in these poems. Does that make sense? The keats, when I have fears that I might cease to be. Oh my gosh, it's so freaky. Or Nietzsche, God is dead. Yeah, when we... Don't live like there's a living God. Who are the madmen that are killing God? We are. <laughs> if we are the body and we're dead, then God's at a dead body. Like, so we can honor these truths. We were going to do that. We were going to have you guys share what you're doing in class. And we went in a different direction today. And I was trying not to be restrictive. And I hope that this was really fruitful. But I think it would be great to create a space where I'm doing this in history. I'm doing this in biology. I'm doing this in chemistry. I'm doing this stuff. It's working. Let's keep building off of this. We didn't get to that. I really am going to trust that this was fruitful. And for those of you who it wasn't, thank you for sitting here and being patient through that. I really want to honor that because I know that that can get tricky on days like this. So thank you for spending 45 minutes of being patient while we discuss this for those who did find it meaningful and valuable. Final comments, thoughts? Yeah, I'm available to process this out. We're going to go into our little groups to collaborate and process this. What I'm hoping is that I really hope you can leave with how are we going to, thank you, Hockett, I love that image. What are these little steps? Each of our classes, steps to show that Christ is trustworthy, that theism, just even theism is trustworthy, ways to honor kids where they are. We get to do that in the class. For some of us, it's rewriting our entire curriculum with the language in it. For some of us, it's a, literally, you guys, it's a sentence. Can I end with this? Ready? If you don't mind, one last thought. I, I love teaching Hamlet. Those of you who know the story, Ophelia loves Hammy. Her dad's Polonius. He's his half-dad. 
got some great advice, but nothing spiritual. Whatever. Laertes is her brother. They have this family. Dad's always spying. He's always spying. He's always spying. And Laertes is like, fear of Hamlet. Dump him. Ditch him. Right? Dad says, I don't want you to see him. And there's all this fear. There's all this stuff. You're like, what the heck is up with these guys? She can be queen. Come on. What dad wouldn't want their daughter to be queen of Denmark? She marries Hamlet. What the heck, dad? There's all this fear. There's all this anxiety. There's no trust. All this stuff. Laertes comes back after his dad has been killed by Hamlet. And he says, the drop of blood made us calm. <laughs> the drop. The one little drop that's calm. The one drop that's fine with my dad being dead is the drop that's connected to the fact that I know that my, you know, that, that besmirches my thing down, the bastard child. And where's mom in the whole play? She's not there. Makes you wonder. And it talks about the fact that his mom's a whore. One sentence changes what in that whole play? I'd probably have Ophelia and Laertes look different because their dad's been sleeping around. And Laertes is a bastard child, son of a whore. Well, no wonder there's no trust. Like, Oh, click, 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 and I'm backing up. I don't know if you're going to catch what I'm trying to say with that whole story, but for some of you in your classes, one sentence on this stuff can change your whole curriculum. You don't have to rewrite everything. You guys know it. Think about your friends, and then you had that one conversation, and they said two things about their family, and you're like, oh my gosh. Okay. You guys, that's, that's 30 seconds. Seven sentences. It's actually probably three, depending on your translation. Seven sentences. A 14, 17 second conversation gets us kicked out of the Garden of Eden. You don't have to rewrite everything in your class. But if you're willing to join the fun here and use some of the vocabulary and connect some of the dots on trust, one sentence might change everything for a kid who's like, oh, that's why we're in mean, chemistry. <laughs> or that's how I handle psychology in this scenario like this, whatever it is. And so I want to challenge you as your takeaway, what might be that one sentence that's all you have to do is add one sentence to one lesson and it might create this powerful clarity for you and your students. Fair enough? And that might be one little step. It might be one thing here. Maybe you have to have a conversation with somebody right now and share that one sentence with them. And it'll create a lot of clarity. But I'm blown away how one conversation, one sentence, one link can create change. That's why I started with that open, right, with Elisha and his servant. Open his eyes so he can see. That one prayer, he sees reality. Ah. I'm done. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Help me help you, help me help you, right? I would love to make this collaborative. Please help. Can you tell Yeah. Oh, I'm Paul. I know, it's so fun. You guys are awesome, by the way. Thank you for that. A minute and 23, or an hour and 23 minutes.